from New York City. A podcast from working actors, directors, and playwrights. This is the Cry Havoc Company. Hello, and welcome to the Cry Havoc Podcast. Uh, today around the table we have... Jen Riker, the writer. Jenny Curlin, I'm an actor. Tim Davis, I'm an actor and a writer. And Kit Lavoie, I am a director and a writer. Today we are doing the first in what's going to be a five-part series, ultimately, on uh, writing plays, and specifically about sort of the, the personal process of different uh, playwrights with the group of how they approach the different steps of writing. Um, ultimately, uh, the, the five are going to be about uh, what people do before they sit down to, uh, to write a play, uh, what they do when they're writing their first draft, what they do when they're getting feedback and how they filter that feedback and, and use it, and then about how they rewrite, and then ultimately about how when they get into rehearsal, uh, they end up doing revisions based on what they learn from working with, uh, with the actors and the director. Um, but what we're talking about today is uh, preparing to write, what people do when they're getting ready to write a play. And uh, being a writer and writing a play is actually, in, in very many ways, a, a very solitary experience. Um, uh, we actually, again, are all part of the Cry Havoc company, which actually, um, we have a, a workshop group that meets weekly where we actually very often bring in pieces as we're writing them and, and kind of get rolling feedback from other members of the company which makes it a little less solitary for some of us. Than, uh, but in any case, when you're actually sitting at your computer or at your legal pad or whatever you write on, um, it really is a very personal process of how you arrive at um, what the play ends up being. Uh, we did our, our first episode of the podcast actually was, was on what are the elements of a well-written play. And I think there are a lot of things that we all agree, ultimately, uh, a play ought to arrive on. Um, but how it gets there varies from person to person. Actually, I think there's a lot of things that I actually really don't know what uh, the other writers at this table necessarily do before they uh, put pen to paper. So to start off, where does, for you guys, the idea for a play come from, the first spark of an idea? Well, I think, for me, it usually comes from, uh, I, I carry around like a notebook, like a little book, and then when I have ideas for plays, I just write down whatever it is. And whatever, however, it may be just like one word or maybe a, you know, a bunch of notes or anything about the idea, but it, I think the initial idea for a play comes from either a moment or a relationship where it's either, oh, wouldn't it be cool if, you know, two people were fighting over a carton of eggs or something like that, where it's like, I, I imagine what happens and then I like build the whole play around getting to the carton of eggs. Or wouldn't it be cool if there were cousins who were going on a road trip or something like that? And I try to find, you know, something that happens to them later. But, like, I, it, it's like I would write down, like, cousins, road trip or something like that. Do you find that the cousins going on a road trip or the carton of eggs or whatever the, the initial impulse is, is that something that uh, kind of presents itself out of the ether? Or is it something usually that you see something, you read something, or... You're talking. I mean, where, where does the initial idea usually come from? Well, there are two places where I find things get really creative for me. And one is kind of bad. Well, they're both bad. One is when I am in meetings for other things. 
what I'm supposed to be listening to what's going on and like, or, you know, something that's going on that doesn't make any sense to me. And I'm just like thinking about whatever and like something occurs to me. And so I'm like writing a play while I'm supposed to be in a meeting. The other place where things occur to me is when I'm listening to other people's plays and not like I'm like listening to their play and like writing the play that I would write. But like, if, especially when you're engaging your creative brain to like, comment it, it, it's, it's yeah to to watch somebody you know watch a performance or to give feedback you're already kind of in that headspace of like oh what if what if and that's kind of where I get like oh I would like to do this or I oh that's a great relationship but I would you know like I would write a play instead about that relationship not the one that they're focusing on like and so it's not even like how you would take somebody else's work and change it to be your own but just when I'm in, like, when I'm thinking in that way, there's just things occur to me. Yeah, I mean, I actually, I actually find often, uh, not often, but sometimes anyway, when I'm watching a play or when I'm watching a film. Or a TV are, show. Or a TV show, where I'm watching something and I think, oh, I see where this is going. And then it doesn't go there, and then I think, well, somebody should write something where it goes there, because that would have been a good story. Um, I actually <laughs> find that, I, I actually, I'm not sure I've ever actually written one of those, but I think about them all the time. I think uh, where, where the initial idea for me comes for, for writing uh, is from a variety of, of, of sources in which I'm presented with a fundamental argument where a question is asked or I want to be engaged in, in discussion that is not uh, resolved to my satisfaction and, and I, I then feel usually pretty compelled to, to try uh, through, through writing a writing process to address that. I'll, from anything, from a discussion I'll have with friends, uh, I remember the, the current play I'm writing, Blackbirds, which deals with a, a lot of several different issues regarding uh, family and life choices and purpose of life and, and broad subjects like that. The initial idea came from a discussion I was having with a girl I was dating who, almost out of the blue one day, asked me if I thought love was a feeling or an action. And it led to this extraordinarily interesting and provocative discussion slash debate uh, over whether we thought love was a feeling or an action. And in that particular case, we took opposite sides. And I think it was unsatisfactory for me because I, I, I couldn't convince her that I was right. Um, <laughs> and so the, I think sometimes, often, when I, when I present a, a play for me, comes out of an idea where there's a, some sort of fundamental argument or, or topic of discussion where I feel incredibly strongly that uh, I'm right. Uh, and uh, within that, that contemporary discussion, um, I don't win. <laughs> um, and, and so I'll write a play on a second deck where I get to win. Or where I feel, and this is probably even more important, where I feel in that discussion I'm on to something and either the other person doesn't get what I'm saying or I'm doing a really poor job of articulating my argument in that discussion and, and feel a need to really tackle that. The, the, other, the other place where it comes from, for me, the, the initial ideas, and this is why I think writing is, is such an arduous process for me, is that a lot of times what I wind up writing about, the things I'm interested about, are those points of debate or those struggles where I don't have the answer. And you begin trying to, to write them um, to, in order to find those answers. And, and that can lead to a real difficult, arduous process simply because you're sort of stumbling around in the dark yourself. 
I think it, uh, another source of um, ideas sometimes is music. Like if I'm listening to a song and you know some, something in the lyrics, or even in the music itself, kind of affects me. And I think that that that's where the ideas come from. Is either like something where my curiosity is is peaked, like oh, what what would that be like? Or a moment that really affects me emotionally, like if I thought about a brother and a sister helping each other out or something, like that's, I know, that's a personal thing that really gets me is when siblings, like, sacrifice for each other. And, like, if I'm thinking about something like that and all of a sudden it's like, oh, oh like, then I feel like I'm onto something, like, like, if that affects me, that's something to write about because it probably affects other people too. I think actually it's, it's, it's interesting what you guys bring up because I mean I think over time my process, uh, uh, a lot about my writing process has changed over the 10 or 15 years that I've been writing plays. But that, that actually some place where I feel like I've settled and maybe it will evolve further is really about this idea of what really interests me is, is about exploring a situation or an idea that, that occurs to me out of, out of, and there's a lot of different places that it occurs to me. But usually I find I don't really have so much of an agenda with it as it's like, this is interesting to me. This is a situation or a group of people I wouldn't mind spending however many hours alone it is to spend at a computer with that situation to try to kind of work out for myself. And I mean, I know for for myself, I, I was actually thinking about it a lot this week, knowing that we were going to be recording this. And one thing is when people know you're a writer, the number of times that people say, hey, that would make a great play, wouldn't it? And they're never right. And I, <laughs> like but people say that to me all the time. And, you know, boy, that bus ride would have made a great play. No, that was no. just annoying. It really... <laughs> I think I do that to you. <laughs> well, and the thing, is, the thing is, they may not be entirely wrong, but it, it, it's certainly not. But, but I think what you're reacting to is, is whether it's something that's of interest to you, to you yeah. especially considering, you know, as someone who has spent the majority of, of, of their career as an actor, and uh, their, their their acting experience is considerably uh, uh, broader and, and deeper than their writing experience, uh, what I've come to really appreciate through my writing experience is the time and the energy and just the exhaustive process. And so, um, if as an actor, I can be sort of flippant about the work I would take. And be like, oh, sure, I'll, I'll be in that piece. Or I'd, I'd love to explore that. Or, yeah, I'd, I would act in that. Whereas if somebody says to me flippantly, wouldn't that make a good play? My reaction is not yes or no. But my first reaction would be how much, with the knowledge of how much work is going to go into a play, whether that particular subject is actually worth my time. Um, in, in the play they may be imagining, you know, a, 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 a cute bus ride may make a nice skit. <laughs> you know, but to actually write a, a you know full length two act play, you know, it really has to engage you. I think that's another thing for initial ideas. It's those things that really stick with you. Those yeah. things that you know aren't just a fun conversation or aren't just a fun story, but those things that you know what I've I've really been wrestling with this particular issue for for most of my life, or you know, ever since we brought that up, I've been wrestling with that every day. And I think I think it gets into actually that idea of, of how personal it is. You know, that, that you know, writing just like acting, just like directing is something that you really need to bring yourself to. 
I mean, I think the thing that, that makes a play really worth doing a lot is, is, is how much of the playwright's investment, how much of themselves they bring to the table about it. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I bet when someone says, wouldn't that bus ride have made a great play? I actually bet whatever their internal monologue during that bus ride was, or whatever it reminded them of, would have made a great play. I mean, I actually know, because I, again, have probably four or five or six times a week have like an idea for a play. I don't write most of them, but things that I, that I at least for the rest of the day sort of kick around in my head and wonder if it would. One of the ones I'm kicking around now is, I mean, and there's not much more to it other than I ended up getting stuck for odd reasons sitting in on a meeting with these professors at this university, science professors, uh, researchers, about how to, that, that there's all these grants, stimulus grants coming down for science. And all of these men, and it was so interesting, these men and women who are the world-class scientists, all of them, and, the, and all of them sitting there talking about how to get and spend money to support their work, because part of becoming a scientist and a world-class scientist is you also have to be able to run a $5 million a year operation, and you have to be able to manage that sort of thing. Which and get is, people to give you the $5 million in the first place. Exactly, which is not the thing that brought them to the level that they're at. You know, it's a totally different skill set. And it was so fascinating to me watching these people trying to come at, and all of them are successful because they are, they do run these big operations. But there was just something about watching these incredibly bright people coming together to try to be bright together in a different area than any of them actually have their central expertise. That I walked out going, there's a play in that. I bet there's a lot of people who would have walked out of that meeting going, that I cannot believe I got stuck sitting with that for an hour. And I'm not saying it's because of anything other than the fact that whatever happened in that meeting and watching the way they dealt with each other, to me, felt like a play. Um, and there's kind of I have a feeling, actually, that's not going to turn into a play, but there's something about it that, that excites me. And I, I ultimately think that's what sticks, is the thing that excites you. If there's something that's, that seems really in, interesting. But I, but I also was, in thinking about this, it's interesting, because I found all, I have all over my house file folders, like scraps of papers and envelopes and stuff that I jot an idea on and throw it in. And I actually have, like, when I've moved found literally like 10 pages of notes on a play I have no recollection of ever thinking about and read them and think, wow, that would have been an interesting play. And I have no idea why I never wrote it. But I, but I was looking back at some of the things that I've written, and it's interesting that the ones that I, that I have actually written usually have something very tangible attached to them. Bank and Trust, one play that I wrote, was very much a story that I heard my uncle tell. That, you know, it, I didn't dramatize the story, but there was something in the story that got me started starting writing. And I think having that to start with, there was another play that I wrote recently that was inspired very much by a song. And to have that song to be able to go back to. There was one play, Makes Three, which you guys know, which literally came from we, at the last minute, got a theater space offered to us. And I actually started writing it and abandoning it and coming back and finishing it later. But it was literally, I knew I had these four actors and had just done a show where I had bought two guns. And if I'm going to write a play for these four actors and two guns, 
<laughs> and it evolved into sort of this pretty epic thing. And then actually, uh, a writer for children, which, which I think you guys know, totally came from actually a monologue in Makes Three, where one of the characters talks about how he and another character met. And it's a, it's a very side point in Makes Three, but I always thought that story is really interesting and wanted to explore it, so I ended up writing... A whole, a whole play. other play, and the characters are very different, but the central element of how these two characters met and got to know each other was inspired by that. But I, I, for whatever reason, I actually have been thinking about it this week, I can't put my finger on it, but that the ones that I actually see to fruition usually do have some sort of tangible thing attached to the inspiration of the idea. What's, what's funny about the inspiration is that Harold Clerman has this quote in which he says that for plays... Plots are a necessary evil. And I, I think what he's getting at with that, or was getting at with that, is, is the idea that there are, for him, and I think I, I, I try, I don't try to follow a similar vein, but maybe I aspire to uh, follow a similar vein, in which ideas or themes with which you're struggling, uh, you, you need to address. And at some point, you need to sort of turn that into a play with, with coherent action. I know most of my initial ideas are about themes rather than action. I know I was speaking with an actor the other day as I just started taking notes on a new play I'm trying to write, which has to deal with art versus commerce and how, you, you know, as an artist, balancing you know, your vision with developing an audience and to ensure that someone is seeing your work and, and how you then compromise or don't compromise what your vision is in, in context of your personal art uh, in, in, a, in a public setting. And the play is set thus far in a restaurant. It's about a, a, a man running a restaurant. So I had just sort of mentioned offhand to a friend who's an actor that I started writing a new play that I thought maybe, at least for initial reading, he might be interested in, which is probably a completely irresponsible thing to say <laughs> to an actor when you've written a couple of notes. But I tend to get really excited about uh, a piece. I get ahead of myself in a piece, which maybe is another indication that I'm on to a, at least a good idea because I'm excited. Um, and he said, well, what's the play about? I'm like, well, it's, it's set in a restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all I said. He sat and looked at me for like five seconds. He goes, that's it, huh, restaurant? I go, yeah. And he goes, that's good. That's good. There'll be some cooking, I guess. And, you know, and, and it was, and I realized it, what happens in that restaurant is, will be my struggle in terms of making it into a coherent play, but the initial idea, I'm very, very clear on. For me, go ahead. I, I actually have a question for you about one of your plays that I think you're still writing. Go for it. It's, it's, the, it's the play where you, like, you literally brought it, you brought the first scene into workshop, and you said, <laughs> my idea for this was I wanted to write the best opening scene of a, I think it's a screenplay. Yes. yes. Of a screenplay. And I have a question for you. If your initial idea was to write... The, the most interesting or best opening, or did you have an idea that you thought, you know what, this could be the best opening? Um, I know exactly what you mean. Uh, no, I have a very specific idea about that screenplay. Uh, it's called Midnight to Eight. And this is one of the few plot-driven things that I've, I've wanted to sort of hit, or at least situation-based things and not thematic-based things, although I've, I've already found a theme to sort of lock me into it that interests me. It's mostly uh, inspired by my father, who was a police officer in the 70s. Um, and not even some of the real stuff that happened 
there, but more important, some of the stuff that I've imagined happened then. But as I started writing it, you know, I had great ambitions for it and still do. Um, <laughs> but I, I realized that I, I needed to approach it piece by piece as I, as I would an actor. And I really, as an actor, break down rehearsals and say, today I am working only on this. I have set my goal for this rehearsal to do this. And so I had an initial idea and I think in order to keep my ambitions for that initial idea, I needed to set very lofty goals for myself, uh, writing goals. And so my initial goal for that was, okay, I know what this plays, but I'm going to write the first scene. Not only am I going to write the first scene of the story that's interesting, but let me set up a goal for myself, which is... It's the best. Yeah, and I, I, I'd sort of been watching a few films over that weekend, and it was sort of struck by several films that had just tremendously wonderful opening scenes. It was like... The, just terrific kickoffs that would make you want to watch that movie. And I'm like, well, that's, that will be my first goal. And that will be my first acting rehearsal goal is I'm going to write the best scene, opening scene to a movie ever. Well, that's really like everyone. Yes. <laughs> that's really yes. cool because I, I thought you were going to say the other end. I thought you were going to say that you, you wanted to come up with the best thing ever. And then you thought of cops in this scenario. Oh, no. Anyways. No. No. You know, I, what you were saying about theme made me think about, because I don't, uh, <laughs> I also don't usually start with uh, a plot or an action. Um, I usually start with um, people, with characters. I start, like, I, I imagine usually two people, and, like, I completely, like, have their whole, and I think it's also because I was, I was an actor before, I completely flesh out who these people are. Right. And, and then, that, or it's like this person in this situation. Like it's it's really about like the the moment where the play starts. Right. That's kind of like I like have this whole vision of like where they are and who they are, and then I have to come up with what happens to them. That's my struggle right. as a writer is to to figure out what's compelling for people to 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 see those people do. And I think part of setting up those people is people who would have interesting things going on. It's not just like what is an interesting person, but like people who would actually be, you know, the kind of people you, who would be in a play. Yeah. What's interesting to me about that is because I'm obviously an actor as well is how that affects how I initially approach writing in that I don't really address, I, I, I tend not to flesh out characters except in terms of what they say on the page in terms of type mm -hmm. because I feel the writing and, and, and the directing and the acting, I have such respect for them as different fields mm -hmm. that I don't really deal, as an actor I know if you give me just a text, as an actor I'm going to fill out the backstory, I'm going to do the character history, I'm going to find in rehearsal the actions I need to take to accomplish. I, I don't need anything more than text. I feel like it. Yeah. So in my initial writing, I would write just text. I wrote entire you know, initial screenplays without any action. And people would be like, well, what happens? I'm like, well, that's for the actors to figure out. <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, I, it's like making I, I also think you know, that, that, there's, that the actor's going to bring to the character a whole backstory. I... My feeling is, is if I think of one, the things they say will come out of that, and it will be real. And 
I also recognize that the things that I think are in the backstory may not end up in the play that gets performed. Right. That they may come up with a completely separate backstory. But as long as I as, as long as I have one and I make them act as if they have one, they can they may come up with the same one I did, or they may come up with a different one. But if, as long as I gave them something to start with, mm-hmm. people who who say things and do things in a way consistent with a like a consistent person's story, like mm-hmm. as long as they are consistent with my idea, then it makes sense in some world. Yeah. Whether like the world that they create makes it make sense, also yeah. that I know that can happen. I actually find. Because my, my background is, I mean, I was an actor for a long time, so training as an actor. I don't act as much as I used to. I actually wish I, I had time to. I miss it. Because um, I, I direct and write mostly now. But I know a lot of my approach to character is tied up with my background as an actor. That I, I do, um, I think the things that I need to identify about a character is kind of where they're coming from. I mean, you know, things about their backstory things about things that immediately happen to them. I actually feel like it's important, and again, this is something I didn't really realize until, there's a lot actually in looking through my notes for different plays, patterns that I picked up going through my notes this weekend. That was interesting. Is I feel like there's a lot of times in which I need to know what these people do for a living, mm-hmm. um, even if it never comes up in the play. Um, you there's know, a lot of stuff that I think of that never comes up in the yeah. play. And the other thing that I really feel like I need is, is what they want, is their super objective, as it were. And I, I remember when I was in college and someone first talking about a super objective. And I said, well, what's a super objective? Like, well, it's the thing that the character wants all the time, the big thing that everything they do drives towards. And I was like, that is ridiculous. There is nothing. That is not true. There is no such thing. But I will say that certainly in writing my plays, I do have to figure out what it is that this character wants and in every single moment make sure that they are driving towards that. Again, I don't know if other if other writers do that. But it sort of frees me up, I find, in the same way that as an actor, having a backstory and having a clear objective frees you up to find out what happens in the scene in rehearsal. Having those two things frees me up in a very real way to let those characters behave on the page. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and, and helps me, I think, not stack the deck against characters. That if I'm sure that I've figured out what it is that these characters want and something for each of them that I feel like I can believe in, that I think they have the right to want and have come up with the reasons in their lives that they want those things and they have the right to want them, it, it makes it much easier to write characters who are on even footing. It makes it much easier to write plays where there's no straw men set up to fail. Mm-hmm. Again, I, I actually am, am interested because actually I know both of you have a, have a, a background in acting. I, I don't know if that's something that... The, the hardest part for me as a writer is exactly what we just talked about, is finding those objectives for characters. Because themes and arguments and issues are, are so important, I mean, that's usually where I start. And, and you know, we'll probably talk more uh, about this, but you know, most of my plays initially start with just scatterings of arguments and, and a couple of lines of, of, of text that may wind up staying in the play or not, and I scribble them down or, or, or type them out really quickly. But as an actor, I so much enjoy the process of the mystery and the discovery of what my character wants, of discovering 
I so much love the, the trial and error of pursuing a particular objective and seeing if that works and pursuing particular circumstances and particular actions in a play and seeing if those works and sort of unlocking the mystery of a play that way. And as an actor, I love certain things in the play remaining a mystery because it gives me something in rehearsal and performance every day to go out and search for that as a writer, I tend to dismiss that subconsciously, the, the, the things you just talked about, which I think are important, but I think instinctively, I tend to avoid them or not really address them as, as completely as, as others do, or maybe even as I should, because I... Again, the actor always kicks in somewhere in the back. Goes, you know what? I'll take care of that in rehearsal at some point. You know? <laughs> and I'm trying. I'm trying to figure out in my own process whether that is being extraordinarily faithful and uh, generous to the actors to give them something to show up with every day in rehearsal and work for, or if it's as a writer being incre incredibly irresponsible. You know. Well, I, I mean, I don't think it's it's necessarily either one. Uh, you know, it's, it's one not. of those things that it's, you know, it's how you, uh, it's, it's, it's how you attack, connect to your writing. Yeah. But I mean, one of actually, one of the most, it's interesting, we keep talking about in these podcasts, I'm not about to talk about it now, um, but uh, One for the Road, which you and I worked on together. And I think one of the big reasons is that for me is such a, that I learned so much from the process. That there was so much that became clear to me about my process as a director during that, which is, I think, part of why I gravitate back towards it. But uh, there was another experience that I come back to all the time that was such a clarifying moment that was actually when I acted in one of my plays in a play called Party Girl. And that was a play that I absolutely, I had when I wrote it, I had a clear backstory, I had clear sense of objective for the characters and wrote it and wrote it. Um, and then when it came time to play it, I was trying to go back to those objectives and for whatever reason, because it was a year and a half later and different things were important to me, or because it was too clear a roadmap to the play, or whatever it was, I was finding that wasn't helping me. And I ended up coming up with a whole entirely different backstory. Gestures that the, that the person made were about entirely different things than I intended when I wrote it. And it, it, it for me, was, was really, really interesting. And there's some of it that after it was over, I went back and thought, well, wow, maybe I should put some of that backstory in the play. Because it's actually the stuff that I connected to as an actor was actually really interesting and helped me. So I went back to look at rewriting it. And every place I went to put it, I was like, but as a playwright, I actually don't want it there. Mm -hmm. As a playwright, I like what it is. And as a playwright, I'm really glad that the actor made those choices Exactly. That were not the ones that I necessarily had in mind. Exactly. And I think for me, actually, strangely enough, that was about as a writer and as an actor. But that actually has had a huge effect about it, my headspace as a director. Right. Um, you know, in terms of that idea of really the important thing in working with, a, with an actor isn't about helping them figure out what the playwright had in mind, but helping them figure out what they need to attach to in their world and in the play um, to make the play personal work for them. I, I think that's such a great point. I, I've made this point before, and I, I don't know if I've made it in the podcast, but that uh, this is, affects both my writing and my acting, uh, uh, that I view uh, the text of a play as the skeleton. 
if a play is a human body, that the, the text is the skeleton, and that that line as it exists will always be that line, you know, in the same way that a you know, femur is a femur. But it's the actor and the director and the other creative elements who place the muscle and the nerves and the skin and the blood on that bone and then determine how that bone moves. Um, the bone is always the bone, but it's the individual other artists who help that bone move. And I think that's why initially, even you know, once I have an idea and start writing, it really is, for me, just dialogue. Because uh, I certainly wouldn't compare myself to, to, to Shakespeare in any other context other than this. But there's something I like about the idea of, uh, as both a writer and as an actor, of somebody going, here's the lines you speak. Figure it out. I do, like I said, I do expect that actors are going to bring a, a, a backstory of their own. But I like to provide provide one that, like, if you have a good actor in a part, there's an infinite variety of backstories that they can bring, and different actors can bring different things to a character. And I know that's possible, but I like to have one that I know exists and works, so that maybe someone who's not so imaginative, at least has that option. Like, that, I know that the play would work if you use that backstory. If you can find it, you could make the play tell the story that I wanted to. Mm -hmm. But you can also do anything else that's still, you know, and, that, and that's, and I don't put everything, like I don't put all the backstory in the dialogue or anything. Right. Like, it's not all there. Right. It just exists in my head. Right. So it's not as if I'm like, Giving, giving them everything that they need. It's, but I, if I have it in my head while I'm writing it, I know that there's at least one way to play it. Right. The way that the actors in my head are playing it, but I don't expect that that's what, like I don't expect them to be like props that just do exactly what's in my head. I, I think that's the, what, what I fear. I think what you're talking about is absolutely completely reasonable uh, and, and responsible <laughs> as an artist. I think part of, my fear as a, as a writer uh, in getting too detailed in the backstory is that the story will become what the story's about, if that makes any sense. Yeah. It, it gets yeah. a little on the nose, yeah. and then it becomes, rather than about this theme or this idea that I'm struggling with, you know, to get back to what our initial question is, you know, where does the idea of a play come from, that we veer away from what that initial theme that I'm struggling with and it becomes a, a uh, an event-driven uh, story, which, unless I'm specifically setting out to write an event-driven story, um, a plot-driven story, uh, is is of less interest to me. And I find when when I, I find when I'm dealing with that, I I'm always in danger of veering away from the thing that interests me. I find that particularly with Blackbirds. Uh, which has gone through, I'm, I'm currently working on the eighth draft of it, which may be typical for other writers for me is, you know, is an exhaustive <laughs> marathon. Um, it's become a Sisyphean effort. But the, the danger, I, I've gotten such great feedback in workshop and from, from other uh, people who have read it, but uh, I'm always calculating the feedback I get, which is often on, you know, they, you need to find an event here to drive this, you need to specify this character's backstory, you need to specify what this character wants. All these you know, basic necessities, I'm always weighing it with this thematic argument, these thematic questions that I have that I, I don't want to lose. 
Well, there are. I mean, there are playwrights out there. I don't think any of us are them. But I mean, I actually understand Richard Greenberg, who I respect enormously, writes this way a lot, which is kind of starts the basic idea, sits down and starts writing, and will write 400 pages of just people doing stuff, and then characters show up, and they become part of the story, and then you're sitting there with 400 pages worth of stuff that hopefully by the end of it a story has presented itself, and then you go back to the beginning and you figure out, okay, this character who showed up on page 250 really ought to be in it from the beginning, and we need to cut three quarters of what we've actually written to the important stuff and reorder the events into an event. I mean, people write like that, kind of write this big soup of stuff and then figure out how to make it a play. Um, Well, I I think that there's something so valuable in that because, and I've made the argument um, for for actors that they need to work on their, their craft every day. They really should be, whatever their process is, really should be working on their body, their voice, if they do, either, in my particular case, doing sense memory work, they should really be doing those type of things every day so that you have a great facility um, as an artist. And I think there's something to be said about that uh, as, as a writer as well, that really you should be writing stuff every day, mm-hmm. whether it's just ideas or poetry or free, you know, free form or actual plays or, or short stories, whatever, so that you have a great facility. It's so funny bringing up about Richard Greenberg because... I read his stuff or see his stuff, and I feel there's just such a great facility to it um, that I, I think that's so useful. And the first thing I ever attempted to write uh, was, was a screenplay, which was Iowa. And uh, I had such difficulties getting it off the ground and still and trying to restructure it in a way where it will be a coherent piece um, and an interesting piece. And I, I feel one of my difficulties in getting that piece written is that actually I didn't start writing anything until I had something that was interesting to me. And I, I, I don't know if, if writers, that didn't serve me. I think had I a greater facility for just writing as a skill and writing as a craft and writing as an art, when I found something specific to write about, I would probably have had at that point much more agility and depthness and craft uh, in, in, in executing that story. Uh, than had I just said, oh, I finally have an idea. Let me begin to be a writer. Can, can, can I actually ask you guys a question? Because I, I, I mean, you guys are writers. And actually, both of you guys were actors before you were writers. And Jen was a designer before she was all of that stuff. Why did you guys decide to write your first play? Yeah, I, had, I was acting and producing and designing and, you know, a little bit of everything. And I actually, you know, before that all, I... I was a writer, but not a playwright. I guess my my main genre style was poetry. So I would write. Po- I wrote poetry through high school, through college, and it kind of fell off after I graduated, just because that's one of the times that I wrote poetry was in science class, and I wasn't in science class anymore, so I stopped <laughs> that source of creativity. So I, I had. I knew I had writing skills. And I thought, I, I knew so much about, and, and our workshop had been meeting for several years at that point, and I thought, you know, I know how to give feedback to a writer. I know how to give feedback about a play. I wonder if I could come up with something that would be a play. And it was just to test, to see if I could write something that would interest an audience. Um, and I you know, came up with an idea and just started writing. And I actually didn't have the whole thing in my head 
like what would happen, I just started writing and bringing it into workshop, you know, scene by scene, until I had a one act, and, and that's how I started writing. I think thus far everything I've written, I've written uh, at least one part in either the screenplay or or the play uh, for me to act in. And I, I don't think that's just self-aggrandizing or trying to create opportunities for me to work, although that you know, may be a, a, a commercial endeavor uh, or pragmatic endeavor. But on an artistic level, every artist has a very individual perspective that needs to be uh, uh, addressed um, and explored. And I think when you're working on particularly uh, this type of art, whether it's movies or, or in the particular case, plays or on stage, it's such a collaborative effort that you have to respect the other people who, who have their own individual perspectives. And I always found it very difficult for everyone to be unified in, in terms of what drew them to the play, in terms of what was of most interest to them in the play. And I, I've just often had experiences where, even on, on wonderful experiences as an actor, where what was of interest to me on the play, what I really wanted to explore, was of less interest to, to other people in the storytelling aspect of it. And so while in, in many of the cases the, the experience was, was really satisfactory, it didn't feel perfect. <laughs> and and I, I guess I started writing because I, I wanted to fully explore the things that were interesting to me in a way where I could really create the world. The, the issue I keep coming up with then in, in writing, and I, I've been asked to direct every once in a while, and I'm, I don't think I have much facility to be a director. More importantly, I think there's few stories that I feel so compelled to tell that I want to control all the aspects of, of that world. As a writer, I feel somewhat more compelled with the stories that I write, but there's there's something about trying to create an entirely satisfactory experience for myself um, in, in creating a world where the issues that are most important to me will be addressed. I actually, the first few plays that I wrote were a little bit out of responsibility. And actually most of them were co-written, the first few that I wrote. I was part of a community theater where we did these big musicals and a lot of times it was all hands on deck. It would be like five people working together to write the book and seven lyricists and three composers. But, you know, there was, um, I mean, that was a really valuable experience for me and that was exciting to be part of it with, you know, older people who were letting me at 18 help write this play we're going to do, which is exciting. And then, like, when I was in college, one of the theater groups had an annual playwriting contest, and I just sort of felt like, well, I ought to write something for them. And um, the first of those that I wrote was actually in large part sort of a compilation of a bunch of sort of comedic essays and things like that. I'd written for different things, and I found a way to kind of string it all into a story. And then actually, actually, Jen and I co-wrote a play together. That was actually the idea. It's funny that you said about your screenplay, yeah, what Jenny was talking about, about you know trying to write the best scene ever. But we actually thought, well, let's write a play that we can have all of our friends in, where you do all of the cool stuff you always wanted to do, where there's like sword fighting and gun fighting and people saying terrible things to their mom or whatever it was <laughs> that that was that that we were going to do. But I preface all that to say that sort of who was the next play that I wrote, the Median Line, which actually both Tim and, and Jenny have been in. 
and has been done a bunch of times, including with them. But I actually really think of that as really my first play. The others are sort of a warm-up to it. And, and I think the reason is, is I remember being on the subway coming home from work during the summer, that I was staying on campus uh, for, the, for the summer, I was taking a subway home from work, and had this idea for a play, and had a, a dug through my bag to find a paper, my backpack to find a paper bag that I got my coffee in that morning and wrote down the first sort of, you know, the snatch of dialogue that I that that, that occurred to me and sort of what the situation it might happen in, and it was sort of that flash of inspiration moment, that sort of the moments that I was talking about before about where an idea comes from, and and that was kind of the first time that I ever had that about a play, and that still that feeling in my stomach that I had, I still remember it, and that's kind of my sense memory of what it is to come up with an idea for a play, and it's when I feel that, that I know I'm on to something. Mm -hmm. um, and so as much as I had written uh, a few things before that, I really actually kind of think of that as, as being my first play. When you guys think of or have the idea, how often do you associate that with it's going to be, I want to write a one act about this, or I want to write a full length, or I want to write a screenplay? When you have that initial idea pop in your head, or, or when you think of the character, at what point, and I imagine it's different for each thing that you write, or could be. I'm just going to say this, I, I don't know how else to, to, to say this. Uh, I don't ever think of, if, if I have an idea for a play, I don't ever think of it as anything other than a full length. And if I have a screenplay, I don't ever think of it as anything other than a full length film. So I don't ever really consider whether this would be a good 10 minute play, a one act play. I've just, whether that's ambition or the types of things that I have watched, I've watched many more full length plays than I have, one act play festivals, uh, I have watched infinitely more full length films than I have short films. So I don't know if it's just being influenced by the type of uh, uh, work that's, that I see. I've never had any interest in writing a one-act play. Um, I've never had any interest in writing a 10 minute play. I've never had any interest in writing a, a short film. Maybe I should, but I, every time that I've had an idea that I thought was worth wrestling, um, I guess maybe I want to wrestle with it on a, on a bigger scope so it always seems to be full length. Do you know right away whether it's going to be a full length play or a Yes, yes. And I think that's because I have particular ideas about what I like to see in theater as a, as a, as a medium that's different from film or TV. I, I, I've talked to you guys several times about this after we've you know, seen stuff or just in general talking about works that you know, each medium has different strengths. And I so often feel that one of the issues with with theater is that it surrenders its greatest strengths, which are the, the immediacy of it, uh, uh, the visual, the, the use of, 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 of dialogue, the idea of the ability to get into big ideas, um, the grand physicality of it, uh, the viscera of it. I think it often surrenders that in an attempt to satisfy audiences that are accustomed to TV or film. Um, and as a result, they make even less interesting plays. Um, and so I have a really clear idea, almost from the beginning, if the things that are going to happen in this play should happen in a film or should happen in, in a, a, a stage play. I think I, I don't start out thinking about what kind of a play, like what length of a play it was going to be when I first started writing. 
I think I think there was probably a tendency to think like, can I write a whole play? Like, I I did have a lot of experience with one act plays, um, watching them, just because the people who are around me, a lot of them were writing one act plays. So, I think. I, I was trying to be more focused, so I was thinking of situations that I thought could take place in the course of you know, you know, 20 to 40 minutes and never change. And I think that was part of my thing as a, as a, from my producing background, just about what was possible, you know, it, you know what was stageable. And, and uh, so it, it tends, I tend to focus more on the one act, which is a problem as a writer because a, a one acts don't get produced a lot, so I have a lot of one act plays that will never be done because there's not a lot of venue for that. So lately, I do tend to think, try to think, what it, what the ideas could be, like what format they could take. Whether this 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 kind of situation is really a ten minute play, this could be a full length play, and I'm looking for them. I'm because there are a lot of ten minute play festivals. A lot of places will only look at full lengths, and I'm kind of struggling as a writer to find the story that I want to tell that will take that little or that much space. Um, so I do think about that. And I also, I, you know, I also, I used to think about whether something would be a poem or would be a novel. So that kind of thing kind of does come to me almost immediately. There's a few things that I thought of that would be um, not, that, that would have to be filmed. Um, I've never written a screenplay, but I know that they would have to be because just like the situation, like, you know, some idea I have is like girls driving in a car through a snowstorm. That's not on stage. That's, that's a film or on TV. And so I just know that just because of, you can't put that on stage. And the feeling of driving in a car is something that a lot of people try to approximate on stage, but there's just really nothing like being in the car with the people and with the camera, like you're one of the people in the car. So that's one of those things that's harder to write a play about. So I do. I mean, it's actually interesting that you say what you were talking about at one X versus full length and the marketability, because I actually. Um, it's interesting because I, I actually find myself a lot writing one act plays actually because I think they're easier to get done um, for myself. Or actually, as I thought about it, is easier to get done in a way that I would be fine getting them done. Because I actually have a few one-act, uh, full-length plays that are on the shelf that I know people have asked to do them. And I think, you know what? Once this is done for the first time, there's an awful lot of place, places that are not going to be interested in doing this uh, if they're not going to be able to premiere it. And I do think if I can figure out how to get it to fill in the blank, you know, whatever theater that I might like to get it done at, they might do it, but not if it's been done, you know, well, people a, will do a one-act over a, and over again. Well, people will do a one-act over and over again, but also there's a degree to which it, to write a full-length play takes months. Sometimes it takes years to get it right. Everything takes months. years. <laughs> um, I mean, a one-act play, I mean, to, to write it and really hone it, I mean, you can get a one-act play into really good shape in a, two or three months, um, I thought. But that's two or three months that I can do, and then someone can do it in a little black box theater in the village, and so long as it's a good production, I feel cool with that being the first production. Something that took me a year and a half to write, I'm not going to give to someone to do in a black box in the village. I mean, I, I you know, it, it's just too much time to let, because most of the time, especially full lengths, that's where the life of that play is going to be. Unless something really exceptional happens. And again, like you said, one act plays 
people are much more willing to pull a one-act play into a festival that they're doing, even if it's been done in another festival. Um, I, I do find, though, in terms of do I know starting out, when I have that very first inspiration of an idea, I don't, because I don't know how big the idea is going. Um, you know, because usually actually the first inspiration for an idea I have is a moment, which is a moment that could happen in the middle of a two-hour story, in the middle of a 20-minute story. Um, you know, so a lot of times I sort of, you know, let things gestate and figure out how expansive the story wants to get, and then I know which one it's going to be. And, um, I mean, I do like, I mean, I actually do know, I tend to write pretty intensely, as it were. I mean, the writing is pretty intense in terms of, like, stuff happening right on top of each other. And there's a couple, I mean, the the, the, uh, play makes three, which you guys know. I mean, something that people and people who really like the play, and I appreciate about actors say, I cannot imagine how you do that eight times a week. I mean, to to go through that eight times a week would be crazy. and yet people do it. I mean, people do it. There are plays that, that are like that. And so actually I've found, I've sort of had to modulate my full-length plays a bit to not be that crazy. But actually, to given that that's sort of the, you know, I do like to write sort of the mainline crack cocaine version of stories, I actually do find that sometimes, you know, fitting an hour story into 20 minutes is actually, I like writing one else for that reason. Um, but you, yeah, but usually I kind of have to wait to see as I kick things around, which actually leads us a little bit into sort of a, the question of once you have an idea, what do you do about it? And, and I will say that, you know, that sort of what my process is, is once I have that germ of an idea, I, I like to sit with it for a while and I, I walk around and it's interesting how technology has changed. I used to walk around with a notebook and jot things. And email us yourself. Well, and, and, then, and then actually, then I got a, a voicemail service, and I would be walking around and call myself and leave myself messages about ideas I had for things, and go home at night and transcribe them. And now that I've got a Blackberry, I find myself walking around the city Blackberrying myself, you know, little bits of dialogue and things like that. But mostly, you know, what they are ends up being, a lot of it is, is exchanges, sometimes two, two line exchanges, sometimes, you know, it amounts to a page of dialogue that I sort of get in my head. Um, sometimes like ideas for complications to the situation, what if he found out that, you know, fill in the blank. And, you know, and then I end up with just kind of for a one act play, probably three pages worth of notes of lines of dialogues and sentences that are ideas for a full length play. 20, 25 pages of notes. And then once I sort of get the sense of that this is what the scope is, this is the kinds of stuff and the amounts of stuff that I want to have in the play, then I'll sit down and start structuring and start figuring out, all right, what order do these things happen? And, you know, there's something that I, I've said in the past that I, I think plays it plays in very many ways as information delivery systems. And I think that that's a lot of that if I can lay out a lot of like really cool stuff about the, you know, that could happen in the play, a lot of what determines the character becomes is the order in which that information comes out. Whether, you know, whether when situation A is happening, whether that person still has the secret that 
you know, w- whether they're going to tell the person that they are really their natural mother or whatever the plot twist is going to be. You know, that because it feels to me actually important to know what the character's secrets are. Because, I mean, I think it's important that scene one, if it's going to turn out that this, you know, character is really the mother of this other character and she doesn't know it, but the mother knows it. Well, you know what? Scene one shouldn't be, should be, if both of them are in it from the mother's point of view, it should be the scene in which the mother is not telling her that she's her mother. It can also be other stuff. But I, I mean, I, I think that it's, it's important to know the order in which that information is going to come out because it really is going to dictate what the behavior of the actors, what the behavior of the characters are, rather. Um, you know, knowing what information they have, what stuff they already know that other people don't know, and things like that. But yeah, that's after the Germany idea. I do like to kind of sit with it for, for a while. I do too. I think I, you know, I usually spend time like getting to know who the people are in my head and like having them interact with each other and I'll write down like bits of dialogue that I think they'll, you know, like you said, like little exchanges to longer exchanges and I'll write it down and then, you know, transcribe it or whatever. And I, I found that as I go, as I go along from play to play, I, there are things that I try to do before I write a play now that I didn't before. And I, I think it's, I'm trying to address problems that I know are going to come up later for myself as a writer. And I've had, you know, some success, some not so much uh, trying to address structural issues before I write the play. I haven't really figured that all out yet, but, uh, you know, I, I try to think of events and order, you know, order of things more than I did beforehand now. And I, you know, some other things that I would write down, you know, I, I make notes about, like, you know, a fact from their past that may or may not come out, or uh, a secret, or, you know, an action that they, like, oh, you know, they're going to fall in the tank or something. That's one what of kind the, of tank? <laughs> all right, that's one of the, <laughs> one of the plays I haven't written like yet. Like a military a tank? No, 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 they're in a church, and they fall in the baptismal tank. So that <laughs> that's one of the, like, things, oh yeah, that would be cool if that, that happens in the course of it or whatever. So yeah, I, I, I write little things down, like things that I think might happen during the play, things that I think happened before the play, um, things that I think they're hiding from each other, or things that they both know but haven't admitted. And that might come out in the course of the play. And I, But I find sometimes I jump into writing a play before all that marinating has been done because I've got a deadline or something, but I do... I, I, and I think there's a danger in, let, in letting it sit too long. There are a lot of plays that I've, I've, I'm having trouble beginning to write the first draft because I've, I have this fear that I haven't had it all mapped out enough because I've spent so much time mapping it out that I feel like there's more to be done. Whereas I kind of enjoy like having a great inspiration and just like rushing to write it like I, like I used to, or I just like, write it out. And if it worked, it worked. If it didn't, it didn't. I actually find my processes evolved a little bit in the opposite direction, which was early plays that I wrote that I didn't want to sit down and start writing until I could recite the play out loud, basically, and knew exactly how it would go. And then what I would find in sitting down and writing is it would turn out differently. But I still didn't want to start writing until I had a very clear idea of exactly what would happen. And But sort of what I've sort of learned over writing however many plays I've written is what things actually stick and what things actually change. And so to really figure out for myself what's important 
And usually what I, what I figure out is, you know, I identify what I call fence posts of the story, sort of the big changing moments where there's information revealed or there's something that someone says or does that changes the trajectory of the play, of the action. Um, and so basically where you could say the story of the play is this thing happens and then they learn this, so this thing happens, and then they learn this, so this thing happens. And I spell those out. I actually find it like when I type it up now, I put those in bold, and then all of the other stuff that I've written that I thought might be interesting, dialogue, issue, whatever, I stick in between, mm-hmm. you know, and find where in the story might this information come out. If it's a full-length play, a lot of times those fence posts kind of define scenes. About this scene is in here to get this fence post in. And what other stuff can happen in the scene and kind of pick the, again, the snatches of dialogue, the little ideas and put them in. And a lot of times, actually, what they are, are questions. You know, where there are things where it's like, how do we know that, you know, Riley is scared that she's going to, you know, be hurt by, you know, because, you know, whatever the, the thing is. And I don't necessarily know the answer to it when I start writing, but I know it's important that we know that. And usually when I put it, you know, I will put it in between fence posts and say this is probably a good place to put it. Um, And I also know there are sometimes, similarly to questions, that there are fence posts that are blank. But it's like where I know I can't get from step 9 to step 11 without something happening in step 10. I don't know what it is, but I know by the time I've written up to that point in the play, I'll have figured out what it is. And actually one of them in the... Um, the Rainbow Rabbit Reliant, the screenplay that, I, that, I'm, that I'm working on, there literally is, I, I forgot about it, but I was, I was looked back at my original notes and it had all of the fence posts ordered and one of them was actually labeled The Kicker. And it was just, I knew that one of the sisters would say something to the other one that would totally change what was going on, that kind of un, unveiled what their central conflict was. But I actually kind of wasn't sure I knew what that was. But I knew the rest of the play couldn't happen unless one of them had made that transgression of throwing down the essential truth between them on the table. And certainly by the time I got to, you know, page 15 of this short screenplay, where I got to the kicker, yeah, I'd spent enough time with these characters to know what that thing was that they would say that would make the rest of it happen. But that's but I do find that for myself starting to write, I do need to have that sort of that again, outline of the basic plot points that are going to define what happens, possibilities of things that happen between, again, that idea of who these characters are and what they want, and just kind of let them slalom from fence post to fence post to fence post to fence post, and sometimes it changes. Sometimes I discover the play is about something different. Sometimes, I mean, Makes Three is actually a good example of a play that I thought was going to be a 25-page long one. I think it turned out to be a 160-page long full-length play once it got rolling. Things change. But I know for myself, it helps me to write confidently to know I'm walking in with a clear plan. Mm-hmm. And it also helps me to throw away that plan to know I've got a plan to go back to if the road that I veer off on doesn't pan out. That I'm not just backtracking to some place, but I can actually backtrack to the last place that I was on a road that I understood where I was going. Hmm. Yeah. It's so funny you say that, and, and I hate to keep talking about the, the acting portion of it. So much of that is how I, I prepare to act, and not at all how I prepare to write. In that, um, uh, you know, before I you know, start, you know what? I don't even know if I if 
the moment from where I come up with an idea to where I start writing anything is so quick, you know, that the, the, there's almost the, the preparation and the, the research and the, the linear structure only occurs to me after I sort of have a, a bit of the mess already on the page for me. And that, that mess may be uh, uh, location. I know the, the screenplay Iowa was initially, uh, the inspiration was almost an homage to where I came from, the things that I'd grown up doing, and just the, the landscape of, of where I'd come from was of interest to me. The themes, you know, I keep talking about those arguments and those, those issues that are of interest to me. Uh, specific moments always come to me uh, where I don't necessarily know why a particular action needs to happen, but I know, you know, I've done this where I've, I've said, you know, I, I've written out this action happens here and then I'll, <laughs> I then need to justify why that action occurs, but I know that that particular moment is of important uh, to me and then I have to build around that. Um, the there are other issues that uh, I only I can only get to after I sort of have that initial sort of impulse, whatever sort of that instinctive hook is for me. Once that's there, I, I then need to become more disciplined, and the things that come later for me are usually plot, uh, the structure of where scenes start, finish, where act breaks are. Often, how something ends is a complete mystery to me even after I've written it, you know, I'm not sure if that's where it should end or how it should end or, um, and then you, you got to you just sort of other, other issues like you know, titles and character names and, and you know, you, unless I have a specific reason for why a character has a specific, you know, occupation, unless there's a specific reason for that, I have no I, I, idea. These are all things I have to come to later and address after that initial sort of, uh, instinct is, is, is out in, in some form on a piece of notebook paper or on a, on a, on, a, on a draft, um, the more structural issues come to me only later. How do you guys deal with characters and character names, and and do you write with specific people in mind, or or specific actors, famous actors, whatever? Like how how often does that come into play? The play I'm writing now, uh, I guess, has become sort of. I, I've decided to write it for the company, Blackbirds. I, there was a, uh, an, in, uh, an impulse in me to write it for the members of the company, but it certainly wasn't initially my, my uh, impulse to write the play. Um, again, my impulse is to write something actually really personal and something that I feel compelled to write. It was only after you know, uh, the company was really moving in a great direction and we were gathering more and more people who I, I respected and wanted to work with that I, I sort of started tailoring the play a little bit to, to what I thought would be good pieces for them. Uh, in, in terms of, uh, so in, in terms of, of, with the exception of myself, uh, I, I don't think I write with any particular actors in mind or even archetypes in mind. I think those things tend to surface on their own. Um, I will say this regarding character names and titles is that there is not a single character name or a title for a play that I have come up with that I have not felt completely silly about. Yeah. Um, I, I see, <laughs> it's okay. It's, you know, I, I see other pieces of work and, uh, and, and maybe this is just you know, an artist's particular neurosis, mm -hmm. but I see other people's works and I'm like, that is the perfect title for that. Oh, that is such a wonderful title. You know, Kit, the other night we were reading a, a, a short film screenplay of his and there was a debate over whether the, uh, well, actually you, you posited a question about whether the title of the short film 
uh, which name is, is currently uh, uh, Rainbow Rabbit Reliant. Did I get those in the right order? Mm -hmm. With yes, a rainbow which is part of my yeah, concern. Rainbow. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. But rainbow uh, Rabbit Reliant. Whether that was a, a terrific, whether, not whether that was a terrific name. My 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 argument is is a terrific name. But you know, he asked what you know, what we thought of the name, and every everybody in the room was like, "Terrific name. Move on." And <laughs> there wasn't really anybody expressed any concern that I could remember about the name. And I see that in other people's works, where I'm very accepting. Oh, I see why that that's a good name for that character. I don't even know how you decide that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I, I and, and as for titles, you know, again, for me, where I, I'm usually Iowa, the, the screenplay was so easy to come up with because of what my initial instinct for writing it was. Um, you know, uh, the play Blackbirds, where I'm dealing with such specific issues for me uh, as an artist and as a man in a particular. Uh, setting in my life, in a particular time period of my life, you know, I, it, it's currently called Blackbirds. It, it really could be called Play X at this point. I think for me, the title usually, it, it, I usually start with a title, but I know that it could change. Yeah. I, I had a play um, that I started with calling uh, Say Nothing, and then it was Don't Say Anything, and then it was Hughes, because that was my interim title between the next title, and I went, and then it ended up as, oh, no, there was always Justin, and then Just Julian is right. now the name of the of the play. Which is a great name, that play. But it only comes when the play is complete, in a way, to know that the play, the title is, matches the play. Right. So I'm, very rarely do I have a, a title that I know what it's going to be, and it's definitely that for the whole time right because the title is supposed to comment on the play in some way it, i mean it's a, it's like a it's like an ad for the play right. <laughs> so it's gotta have something to do with it and make people understand what kind of play it is that they're going to see um character names is interesting because i do spend a lot of time coming up with character names particularly well, yeah, it depends on like how many characters there are in a play. Like, if there's two, like they've got to kind of balance. Like, should they have the same first letter and things like that? And and to me, it's kind of like how it sounds coming out of the other character's mouth. Like how they address the other person. Like, does that person sound like a Max or you know that kind of thing? And some somewhat having to do with their background. Like, is it kind of a blue collar person or or somebody who um, who's really really smart or something like and I I try not to make names like too on the nose uh, and sometimes I like get down on myself like oh that's really like fake and cute like that, that person's called like Sophia or something and I just like oh I have to change that but I I have found recently that I'm like trying to think of new names for people in place I've like gotten to the point where I've used a lot of names that I love and I want to use them again. Like, I, like I'm at a point where like I'm recycling my own character names, which is not not a great place to be in. So I mean, I try try not to, but I'm like, oh, I already wrote a play about someone named Sam, so I can't I can't have another Sam. So I, I have to you know come up with something else. Kit does that, and I don't think he knows that he does it because <laughs> you, you have a problem remembering character names <laughs> of people in your plays. But it's it's so fun. I mean, you've written a lot of plays at this point, but it's so funny the names that you recycle, and it's sort of 
interesting. Well, it, it's interesting. I mean, because it is something that I, it, when we sit at workshop and talk about plays, I'm talking about my own play. And the, the sister, the one, you know, it's, uh, there's something wrong. I don't know. <laughs> but I, I actually, I, there's a degree to which I kind of do know I recycle names. And I think that part of my choice of names a lot of times has to do with the rhythm of it. I mean, it, yeah. that there are certain... The syllables. And... Yeah, there are certain names that sound good out loud in a weird, in a weird way. Or strong. Yeah. Or, you know, yeah, the, they kind of like match the character. Like that, that name is that that kind of a person. And it's something that I, I know is is in my is it true in a lot of my writing and Jenny actually has pointed it out. Um, that I know in my life when I get upset with people, I tend not so much to yell as to start calling them by their name. <laughs> and um and uh so yes, well Jenny, I don't think that's true. Um, but but I find actually that my my characters do that too, and so I think to have a name where it's like listen, Mark, like Mark is a name, and so because there's something about that the strong K at the end that I I like um, Jessica and Jess and Jesse for some reason there's variations on that in a lot of my plays. I just like the sound of it and it sticks. I also know for myself in terms of choosing names that. that I'm Kit. I've been Kit since I was a young child. My given name is Christian, and Kit is an Irish nickname for Christian or Christopher. But that is something I know in my life a lot of people are, I mean, have been thrown by, by the fact that I'm called something that's different than what my given name is, that isn't an obvious nickname. And that actually is something, the negotiation of nicknames is yeah. actually something that I find is a common thread, and not conscious, mm -hmm. but I do find is a common thread about, you know, someone who's named Michael and someone calls them Mike and they correct them that no Michael that there's something about people's actual their relationship to their name yeah that there that's something actually that's, that I do important. often know before I start writing what their relationship is. you know why that's important to me is because my name is Jennifer and anybody of our generation will know there are a gazillion Jennifers so which Jennifer are you talking about become how you shorten your name how you spell your name like what your name is is trying to individuate yourself from other people um so what you know what you choose for your nickname is also very important to me and i also like um boys names as girls names like alex and sam and things like that but that's just a preference I, it's weird. I have almost an aversion to names in, in such a weird way. I was just, I was just thinking about interesting names. Well, yeah. I, I was just thinking about it in, in terms of like I just started writing writing snatches of a play recently, uh, based on the New York Times article that, that I read that posed a really interesting question that frustrated me. And I, I started writing it, and none of the characters had names, and I started losing any argument because it was a fairly complex argument. Who was who? So I just sort of randomly assigned them names. Some of them were their 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 job title and some of them were character names which were completely arbitrary and I I, I don't know why I have almost my, my feeling towards names are arbitrary um, I'm, I'm thinking of listening to your particular personal histories about your names now that may or may not influence your work and I have a very boring name you know I have a very you know, Tim Davis is a you know and you know, my on my I'm registered with equity and on my head shot and I'm, you know my professional name is Timothy Davis because it just sounds better than, you know, I don't know if it does sound better. I, but whenever we, I've done like improv work or like deep character work in, in classes and things like that, and 
where I've created a character, people have asked me to name the character. It almost has sent me vaulting away from the work I've done. I, I remember one particular class, uh, we had come up with these characters and created this character history for him. And particular actions, we're going to interact with other people in the class. And I, What's your character's name? And I felt so stupid even saying the name that I almost completely vaulted out of the entire exercise, out of the entire improv. I, I don't know what that's about. I don't, I don't yeah. That's troubling. It's interesting because you actually have, especially Blackbirds, I mean, I think oh, every gosh. character in it has exactly the perfect name for them. So. <laughs> I change names. I don't, I'm like, I do, I do start out with, you know, what I think, like, uh, what I think their names, and I actually have a, a, play, a play called Mikey Wears Braces that has um, Goonies references in it, and the title itself is a line from uh, from the Goonies, and so the, the, the characters are named Mike and and Andy, who are characters in the Goonies. Their original names were Dallas and Leah. So who knows why I, you know, at what point I abandoned Dallas and Leah for Mike and Andy. Yeah. Yeah, I, I found that actually, again, going through my, my notes or for, for plays I've written, is how few of them actually have the names that the notes originally had. Um, and I, yeah, and I wrote a play uh, called uh, Bake Sale, where the... Uh, like I've, it's gone back and forth and back and forth between them having names and not having names where all the, originally the women were all named variations of Jennifer and then the, the men had no names at all or, or numbers and then I gave the men names and then I took them away and then I named the women after their baked goods and took away their names and gave them names that were not variations of Jennifer so they wouldn't be so confusing and you know it's there are things that that change as I go. So, but I do have ones to start with. I will say because I got the, the answer to your other two questions, Jenny, yeah. um, about do I? I actually very often, yes, have models for characters. Um, it helps me to picture them. Either actors who might play them, sometimes just people I know, because mm -hmm. um, there actually is is one. I know one thing, actually, I, I switched sort of who I was modeling it on as I was writing it. Um, actually, I was modeling it on you, Tim, and I've stopped now. Um, but, uh, but, but, it, wise choice. <laughs> well, no, but it was something where, where I started writing it with a couple of specific actors in mind, who I actually thought would be, you know, interesting to see doing it. Um, but this character is a really, I mean, he's a, a, a child pornographer is, you know, <laughs> is basically who he is, um, which Tim, I still think he'd be great playing it, but I've, <laughs> but, but actually, but I, I found, but I found Take because, <laughs> because I really didn't want, I really didn't want to make him big, bad, evil. I mean, obviously he is, but I wanted to find a way into writing him that, you know, that he was more than just that guy, that he, there was a lot of complexity to how he ended up there and, and you know, that there were actually some good things that this guy ended up doing. And I ended up switching it over to somebody who's not an actor, but who is just somebody who's a very meaningful person to me in my life. And it's just somebody who, you know, who I love a lot and, 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 and think a great deal of. And actually that has really helped me finding in a different way than I love and think a great deal of you, Tim. For those of you at home who cannot see him. Dying. He's crying. He's crying. <laughs> um, but actually a, a member, um, a member of my family, because that's a different kind of, of, of 
of the legend, a member of my extended family, which I think makes it, for me, has really unlocked a lot of things about really demanding for me that I come up with justification for why he did things that, that make me and not justified. only justify. recently did you, did I, and I feel, did you make that switch? And since then, you, you have a clearer idea of where you're going with yeah. it mm-hmm. because of that. Yeah. I, think, I think I do the, a, a similar thing where I base, uh, base characters on people that I know or, or actors that I think will play them. And I think it, uh, my, a lot of my earlier plays, just the, the subjects and the themes and the situations and everything were things that came out of my life. And so uh, a lot of the people around me are actors and, and, and so it, it kind of like got kind of messy there where it was like, this person is me, this actor that I know is reading this role they're kind of like me, you know, it, it was just a little weird, but I am fortunate in that I have people around, uh, people around who are a type that go through, through situations that are similar to the things that I'm interested in. Like I do have a lot of a, a good, good quality actors to, to be muse to, to different characters. Like I, I write a lot of plays with Jenny and I, because she's just, fascinating as a person and um and a great actor so it's kind of like oh what would jenny be like in this situation and then i'd like she's one of the characters in the play in a way um and i find that's true for you know for the variety of characters but i do tend i do tend to write not just for that for for like because i have done that where i've started writing it for one actor and then switched it to another actor but it's not really about an actor playing the part. It's about the person that I know, a person that I know who's like this. Uh, yeah, and in terms of your question, to, to, which I did not answer about the uh, titles, generally, I mean, I agree with you guys. I don't know usually what the titles are. I actually, again, found it interesting going back and looking at my computer files, what the, mm-hmm. fu- what the original files were called. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like the hotel room play. And, um, you know, and then there was actually like the, Peter and Kerry play because they were, you know, where it actually, that actually was a case where there really were two actors that I had in mind in the very beginning that I wanted to model these, these characters for. Um, and then there was the Mark and Joe play, which actually are, that was the play I was talking about before where it was um, actually based on the backstory that I had come up with for how two of the characters in Makes Three, Mark and Joe, had met. But there are two exceptions to it, which I find kind of interesting. And they're actually two plays that I'm, I'm, I have not yet finished. Um, one is a writer for children, um, and one is Veep. Uh, both are full-length plays, and I actually, and Makes Three actually had a title very early on too. Um, now that I think about it, but I actually wonder if. It, but for me, actually, there's something in again the epic prospect of writing a full-length play that for both Veep and a writer for children, I those felt like exactly the play I wanted to write. I wanted to write a play that would have that title. And I think that there's something about making sure as I'm writing Veep about this political story and the family and all of this stuff that it keeps feeling like it should have that title has actually been a real guidepost for me in writing. So I actually think we've kind of talked about a lot of stuff here. Um, is there anything else that uh, we haven't talked about uh, that anyone wants to throw out before we uh, wrap up? Well, I just think like uh, I've had, you know, what what happens before the first draft has changed a lot for me, but um, and I think that's just 
you know, in my journey as a writer, if you want to say that, that what I feel like I do is I, I try to address the, the whole beforehand, and that it, it just changes over time. What, what, what happens before I start writing that first scene has, has changed a lot for me over time. Yeah, and, and I, I find the same thing, and I, it's actually interesting that, um, that I used to write a lot to theme, I think. I mean, there was a period, and actually to the same theme, um, that I, I used to write a lot. I mean, I actually considered myself in a lot of ways kind of a very feminist writer, as it were, and that I wanted to write strong female characters, and I wanted to write actually about in relationships between men and women, how women in our culture are oppressed, but actually the ways in which that is actually a dehumanizing element for men. And there was something about every play that I would start to write, I'd have to find my way into it that way. Because I sort of felt like that's the playwright that I wanted to be in my head. And I think I've since sort of left that and really found this is a situation I'm interested in, I'm going to write about it. But it was interesting that we again had a, a reading, a public reading of a few of my short plays the other night. And in the talkback, even though those were not themes that I was actively writing about at all in any of these recent plays, it was interesting that somebody mentioned that that was something that they saw in them. Because even though that's no longer what they're about, mm -hmm. since it's something that I'm interested in, it does kind of find its way into the story somehow. I don't think of myself as a, a a theme writer, but I it it does. There are things that I that I keep coming back to um, in my plays, and I think um, part of it has to do with what Tim said about investing the time in a in a specific play. Is that there has to be something that makes me want to write it, and those things don't always change that much. And so I do do tend to come back to the same kind of things. But it's not because it's like, I'm going to write a play about X. That comes for me just because that's what I'm interested in. And it's it, it's not like I set... The, the characters that I write sometimes are interested in the same things that I am. So that's how the theme comes in. It's just you know, what what engages... Because I've written, I've, I've written a lot of exercise pieces where I just write to be writing or trying to work out something, some problem that I have. And I write the play, and I bring it into workshop, and we read it, and it's just like well, I'm done with this play. I don't, I don't need to write any more of it, <laughs> you know. So there has to be something there that just kind of keeps pulling me forward to keep writing. And I think the last thing I, I, I'll say is that that I, I do know for myself, I'm very inspired by music. I mean, music, I just I do, and so that's something I do sometimes actively do early on is try to find a song that feels like a character or feels like the play or feels like a relationship. And we'll get into it actually in our, in our next session about you know writing um, you know, your first draft. But I know there are some, you know, there have been a few instances, it's not every one, but where a song really feels like, hey, there's one of my plays where the relationship between two of the characters just feels like the uh, bootleg version of Idiot Wind by Bob Dylan, not the album version, the bootleg version, but whenever I got to a scene that was about them, you know, I had listened, when I was thinking about those characters, I would listen to that song over and over again, when I was actually sat to write, I would put it on and listen to it over and over again. And I also find sometimes music, it's less actually that it feels right about them, as much as it's an acting thing, it's a sense memory thing. It was maybe a song that I was listening to when I first had this idea, or when I or, or when I had a sub idea or whatever, and I'll find, you know, I'm walking around the city and I put it on and it kind of brings me back to the headspace that I was in when I first had an idea 
you know, related to the play and kind of helps with it anyway. Um, but anyway, again, writing is a very individual process, and I actually know that you know, you know, that's very much part of my process. So uh, thank you, everybody, for the, the, the conversation. Thank you all at home for joining us. Uh, thank you, Jen and Jenny and Tim. If you have not yet subscribed to the podcast, please go to iTunes and do so. If uh, you like what you've heard and would like to tell other people about it, do go to iTunes and write us a review. Or give us stars. Or give us stars. Thank you. Um, and uh, if you uh, have any questions or comments, please email us at uh, podcast at cryhavoccompany.org. And actually, if there are any of the plays that we've talked about today that you are interested in reading, you're welcome to email us. We'll be up to the person who wrote it, whether they're willing to, to share it with somebody and probably whether it's been produced or not. But uh, if you want to hear any of it, shoot us a line. We'll, we'll let you know if we can send you a copy of it. And uh, so for all of us at the Cry Habit Company, thanks for joining us. Join us again. We'll have uh, us and other members of the company talking about issues related to uh, acting and writing and directing. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. You can learn more about the Cry Havoc Company at cryhavoccompany.org. Questions or comments can be sent to podcasts at cryhavoccompany.org. All music from this show came from the Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. Thanks for listening and please subscribe.